This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Before we get started with this episode, I want to share an upcoming opportunity with all of you, the second annual Parenting Autism Online Summit. This is 28 autism and parenting experts sharing their best tips and strategies on how to empower your child with autism to thrive. This event is 100% online and absolutely free November 4th through 7th of 2019. Go to slash podcast to grab your spot. That's slash podcast. I hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm excited to be talking to author Jessica Loving today. She's the author of the book, Special Siblings, Growing Up with a Sibling Who Has Special Needs. This is such an important topic for our families of kids with ADHD and possibly autism as well, Um, just to really be aware of what those siblings are going through. It was a super big, impactful thing for my own daughter and my family as well. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and have Jessica share with you some ideas about um, making sure that you're aware, but also what you can do for that sibling to make them feel just as important and special as your child with a disability. Thanks for being here, Jessica. Will you start by introducing yourself? Tell everyone who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. Um, so yeah, my name is Jessica Loving and I recently published my book, Special Siblings, Growing Up with a Sibling Who Has Special Needs. Um, and yeah, the book was really written based on my own experience growing up with my brother who has autism, but I think, you know, it really applies to siblings who have, you know, brothers or or sisters with any kind of special needs. We've seen, you know, even there was some interest from families who have, um, kids in foster care or they're adopting an additional, you know, member of the family and, um, really just for all kinds of families to be able to understand that the sibling who, you know, might not be the focus when there's some kind of issue going on, um, really has a lot of needs as well. So yeah, I'm excited to be here to talk about it today. Yeah. And I'm so excited that there's a book out there for it. I wish there had been when my kids were younger. Um, do you want to tell us first a little bit about your story about um, growing up with your brother, correct? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So my brother, Billy, is six years younger than me. Um, and yeah, I just remember, you know, it started, I remember when he got diagnosed with autism, he was two. And I remember coming home from, I had been at ballet class and my mom always picked me up from ballet. And that night she didn't come to pick me up and I was waiting is my mom. Um, and finally my grandpa came and brought me home and my mom was like crying in the other room and I didn't know what was going on. It was all this drama. Um, 
And, you know, I was eight at the time. And so it was a really long time before anybody really explained to me what was going on. And I just remember from there, like everyone, you know, and also this was a little, this was in the early 90s. So autism itself hadn't really started to be talked about a lot, but, um, yeah, I just didn't understand. It was, you know, something's different with my brother. And then from there, it was all of these specialists in our house all the time. And he was getting shuttled to speech therapy and occupational therapy. And I think, you know, at one point he was doing equine therapy with horses and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I would go and I remember that one in particular, because I remember going to this ranch where he was doing therapy on horses. And I was like, I want to ride a horse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and you know, people would come over all the time with these like cool looking toys for him and devices. And, um, you know, it really was sort of just this weird thing where I would sometimes be jealous or not understand. But the message from my parents was always like, you know, he really needs this and we need you to be the big kid. We need you to be the helper, (laughs) you know? And so I really grew up. Um, and yeah, and luckily I think, you know, it, my personality was, kind of worked well with that. Like I really enjoyed being the like mini mom. And my mom likes to tell stories of like I would just like love to push him around in his stroller and I was always trying to help. Um so there were elements of it that were really fun, but it really was until I was a lot older when I realized like, yeah, nobody ever really explained to me what was happening. (laughs) And there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of space for my feelings or my, you know, any like I wasn't really allowed to have challenges or questions about it because it was very clear that the focus is on Billy. Billy really needs our resources. Um, and you, you have to kind of be a trooper. And so, yeah, it was a little while later. Um, there was an agency in our suburb where my brother was receiving services and they asked my mom if I could write something for siblings. And this was when I was in high school. Um, because they were having a lot of siblings of kids with different disabilities coming in who are having their own behavioral challenges and emotional challenges. And they were really realizing there are not a lot of resources out there for siblings. Um, so they gave me a really small little grant to write a little book. And, you know, I had it bound at Kinko's and we made a couple copies. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend do the illustrations and it it really was the core content of the book has remained the same. Um, but yeah, the initial version was definitely less pretty. <laughs> but, um, That's so sweet though. Yeah. And, and it was nice because they really gave a lot of input too. Like I wrote a draft. Um, the initial draft was completely based on my experiences and just having them ask me to write it really made me stop and think like, hmm, what was it like for me growing up as a sibling? And nobody had ever asked before. <laughs> so yeah. like, even the experience of writing the book itself was, was kind of cool for me. Um, and then from my draft, they gave some suggestions for some things that other siblings they were seeing or dealing with. So I could kind of incorporate that in and try to make it as inclusive as possible. Yeah. And, you know, as parents of kids who need more from us, um, it's really easy to get very overwhelmed by that. And the rest of the world kind of 
not falls away. I mean, we're always aware of all of our kids and want the best for all of our kids, but we get so overwhelmed sometimes by those special needs that we don't feel like we have enough for, you know, we're, we're just giving so much. Um, and that's not to say that that's right. It's just to explain kind of that experience that mm-hmm. it's, it's so hard when your parenting already takes more of you and then you're trying to do for everyone else as well. And, um, My own daughter, who is the older sibling, really struggled as well. And my son did equine therapy and she would come and pet the horses and play with the barn cat. And, you know, but she, I'm sure was thinking, well, I want to ride a horse too, Uh (laughs) you know, just like you were talking about. And, and at that point she was older. She was, um, probably in eighth or ninth grade by then. And so she started to really be more understanding, but, it was a really hard road for her and um, she struggled intensely with anxiety um, when my son would have a meltdown in public once, then forevermore, every store we went to, she was terrified that it was going to happen again, that she didn't have any control. Um, and she would do the mother hen, the same as you were talking about, to try to have some control, um, mm-hmm. to try to, you know, be a little bit in charge of where things went. Um, and so what we learned early on, we we started her in therapy with the same therapist that my son was seeing and learned that it was how much it was really impacting her, um, monumentally impacting her. And we just didn't see it because she was really good at hiding it. She uh-huh. was really good at saying, well, obviously he he needs more, you know, she could see that the, that his behavior was a challenge and, um, and she still does that today. You know, just a few weeks ago, she had confided in me that she'd been holding back on a lot of things that were, that she was struggling with because she didn't want to burden me. It was her wording with anything more than I was already dealing with, uh-huh. uh, which for a parent is a punch in the gut. You know, we want our kids to feel equally loved, equally important. Um, And of course, I express that to her again. You are absolutely equal. Do not, um, you know, hold back from what you need from me. Um, But it's so hard. You know, it's so hard. What kind of things did your parents do growing up to try to help you um, to feel important as well? Yeah. You know, it's, there's so much there in what you just said. I think like that's so common for, um, siblings to have anxiety. And I think starting in therapy is so wonderful. And I didn't actually start seeing a therapist until I was much older. And yeah, it's so many of the same issues that you described really come up there. Um, so I, you know, would definitely recommend starting with therapy as early as possible. Um, and you know, it's when I think about my parents, we, they really, because I was similarly this like mother hen personality, I think they really went off of that. And I also, you know, and it's, I don't even know if I would use the word hiding it because I don't think I was intentionally ever trying to think like, well, I have this issue, but I don't want my mom to know because she seems busy. It, it right. just became natural. It's just internalized as well. I can't have this problem because there is no time, you know, like if mm-hmm. my brother's in 
if he's in the other room having a meltdown or he has two therapy appointments back to back and she has to drive him like I'm not going to ask if she can drive me to a play date because I know she can't, you know, it would just be, um, you know, so I would just, and I think part of it was I would naturally try to be like, oh, well, I want to help. And I would like meet all the therapists and be like, well, can I help you guys with something? And, you know, some of the therapists were great and would like include me and we would practice social stories around like, you know, when you hang out with your sister, what do you guys do? And that kind of stuff so that I could be part of it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really, I think it can be really hard for parents to know what to do or even to know that they need to do anything. Cause I think, yeah. um, because you know, the, I think as siblings, a lot of us just don't ask for help. We don't even really know that we need the help. Um, and you know, what's been so interesting with the book is the biggest response I've had so far has been from, other adult siblings, like people my age and even older who have said, wow, I wish this book was around when I was younger. And it's, it was so fascinating because when I first came out with it, I was, you know, I was approaching parents and I, I was really not getting the response that I expected. And I think what I've figured out is parents don't know that they need to be thinking about resources for their sibling as well. Cause like you said, you're so overwhelmed. It's really new for a lot of people. I mean, you get this diagnosis. It's often out of nowhere. You might not have heard of it before. Or you thought like, oh, well, I know other kids have that, but that's not something I have to deal with in my family. And then suddenly it is. And you have to join all these new parent support networks. And you're in maybe a bunch of Facebook groups talking about like, well, who's the best OT to get? You know, and there's so yeah. much to do. Um that you're not really remembering like, oh, I wonder if there's anything extra. Like, you know, I'm sure you probably have all the same stuff. Like if you're, you know, the neurotypical sibling already has, you know, like a band recital or something coming up that's on your calendar, you might know like, okay, I need to make sure to be there. And that's really, really important to not start, you know, skimping on those other responsibilities or places where they really need you to show up. But I think in terms of anything extra, parents don't even think like, oh, maybe I should seek out resources like therapy or a book or something for my other kids. Um, So I'm really hoping that this book and my, you know, going around talking about my experience will help parents to just even think like, maybe what else can I be doing? Just ask the question or even just to check in with your other kids and say like, Hey, you know, can we do a just us ice cream date or something like what's been going on with you? How do you feel? How is, you know, when your brother had a meltdown yesterday, what did that make you feel like? Just, you know, some of that just checking in can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One thing that we started doing, um, when my daughter started therapy herself was to do those, um, mom daughter or dad daughter dates like you were describing and we scheduled and made time for it every single month there was one um with each of us at least monthly and we made sure that ADHD autism could not interrupt that time because so often anything that we tried to do with her would end up getting interrupted and, you know, disability would come in and kind of wreck it for her. And so, you know, when we went out together, we did whatever she wanted to do. Um, I did not answer the phone or text. Um, You know, I left 
the care of her brother up to her dad. And we just didn't let it interrupt her time. And that was super, super valuable. She really um, kind of came alive during those outings because she didn't have to worry anymore. She didn't have that anxiety at that point out in public because she knew that things would remain calm and be okay and shouldn't have to be on alert for that. And, you know, just giving her that experience of being able to go somewhere, not be on high alert, not be, you know, trying to take control and mother hen was really important kind of for her mental health, you know? And, um, so those were great. And that really started to shift, I think, how she felt as far as her importance in the family, um, because she saw that we did whatever we could to make that time. There was never an excuse. Um, we never rescheduled unless somebody was sick. You know, we always made sure to follow through with that and not let anything else you know, outside forces interrupt it. Um, and that was really powerful for her. When when she first started therapy, and I wrote about this in my book, actually, because I, I can look back now and it's funny, but at the time I was completely mortified. Um, she, you know, the therapist at the first appointment said, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me how you've been feeling. Tell me about your family. And, and, um, and the therapist had already been working with her brother, so she knew kind of what was going on, but wanted my daughter's viewpoint. And she said, well, they should just build an altar to him and start worshiping it. Wow. <laughs> and I went, what? You know, <laughs> and immediately started defending my parenting. And the therapist shut me up and she said, this is how she feels. And it's so important for her to communicate this to you. And it was a huge revelation. You know, I had no idea that, that she felt so intensely about the inequality between mm-hmm. her and her brother. Um, and so, you know, I, I still, that's one of those touch points in parenting that I go back to over and over again. When our kids are talking, it might be crazy. It might sound absolutely ridiculous, but there's always some truth to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're communicating how they feel. Um, and I see many siblings who kind of end up in that sort of drama role. You know, everything gets exaggerated. And, and I think part of it is trying to get that attention. But part of it is also like, look, I'm feeling extremely, um, you know, mistreated or um, ignored or whatever it might be. Um, And so it's just so important to take that time and really um, think about what the sibling is going through because Mm -hmm. it can, you know, like you and I both talked about, it can really manifest in becoming their own mental health issues and emotional health issues. Um, and then you have, you know, two kids who are struggling and we don't, right. want, you know, we don't want the extra We don't want either of our kids to be struggling, of course. But, um, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention too, is for a while here in our area, that a local, um, it was either the hospital or a nonprofit that's affiliated was running sib shops. And they were once a month outings that were entirely for siblings of kids with disabilities. Um, 
And they were like an all day Saturday sort of thing. One day was horses, once was um, something to do with dogs, like training dogs or, you know, there's, they always incorporated animals, but, you know, anything like that that you can find is Mm -hmm. so valuable. And, you know, in that instance, there were therapists there and, you know, it was constructed to be therapeutic and they worked on feelings and they worked on making them feel special and all of those things. So very cool if you can find that in your area too. Yeah. Sub shops are fantastic. I, they weren't something I, I don't think they were around yet when I was younger, but I've been in touch with a few of them more recently. And like a few of them have gotten copies of the book and everything I've heard about them. I think they're so, that's such a wonderful resource. Um, you know, both because it's exactly what you talked about. I think it's, it's really both making the other sibling feel special. Like you have all of these special things that are happening for your kid with a disability. They get all this extra stuff. And as a parent, you may think, well, yeah, they're getting it because they need it. You know, like, it's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, if your kid is getting like a talker to help him with, you know, like telling, like communicating, that's not to your mind as a parent, that's not a toy, but to a young kid, it might seem like one, like how come he gets a computer to talk for him, you know? Right. Um, it's just the perspective is really different. So to feel like there's something extra that just the other kid can have too is so wonderful. Um, and then, yeah, the piece that where they talk about feelings, both at the sub shops or even just, you know, on your ice cream dates or your outings with mom or dad, I feel like that's, it's so, so crucial because it's the time away where you just get to be the center of attention, but then it's also getting to be a kid because sometimes I think so often siblings aren't able to be a kid fully there. You know, you're in the role of being like the parent's helper. You're, you're a junior adult. Um, and it's a lot of responsibility. And even for the kids who are naturals at it and are really good at it. And, you know, like I think in a lot of ways it's really helpful. Like i used the skills that I learned from taking care of my brother to be a babysitter. And I was a camp counselor and, you know, like those are really good, helpful skills that we should encourage and helping out is wonderful. Um, but we also, I think have to remember that it's not a, you know, eight or nine or 10 or even 13, 14, 15 year olds job to be in charge of managing their siblings. And they, they really still need that time to just be the kid. Um, and let that out. And I think that's so important. And then also just in terms of the feelings, you know, it's, there's the anxiety that comes from my experience, at least there's the anxiety that comes from being worried. Well, we're out in public, what's going to happen. Or even, you know, I remember when my brother was, had to switch schools, it's the anxiety about, well, okay, he's switching to a school where they have a better special ed program, but he's not going to know anyone there. And like, you kind of take on a lot of, I could hear my mom worrying about, well, like, how's he going to make friends? And how's he going to adapt to the change? And so then I'm worried, well, how's he going to make friends? How's he going to adapt to the change? Right. Yeah, you really, you, you hear the same things and you, you put yourself in this junior parent role. So you feel the same fears. Um, but then there's also an anxiety for me that came from not allowing myself to have any feelings of jealousy or anger, you know? And I think in particular, a lot of what I wanted to make sure was in the book was about, you know, yeah, you're not, you might not be allowed to do equine therapy. Like it might really stink that insurance covers your brother being able to ride horses. And that's just not something your parents can afford. And I'm not, you know, and I think when I am talking to parents, I'm not going out and saying, okay, well you need to, you know, 
wow, for lack of a better word, I'm just coming up with pony up the money to make sure your kid can ride horses too. No, like life's not fair. You don't get to do everything you want just because your brother's doing it. But you also don't have to be a trooper and smile about it and say, of course, I understand. Like, it's okay to be upset. That stinks, (laughs) you know? And just making that space for like, yeah, this really isn't fair. Or yeah, you were trying to explain something to him and he just didn't get it. Or, you know, you were really proud of something that you did at school and you were telling us about it. And then your brother interrupted and we got distracted and we had to deal with it. That stinks, you know, (laughs) just like you're allowed to be mad and worried and upset and sad and all of those feelings that, you know, I think like from being that helpful caretaker, I was like the cheerful, I want to help pitch in and make sure everything's okay for my brother. And that was really rewarded both by my parents and by his teachers and like, um, you know, all the therapists that I would be trying to be helpful with. They, everyone was like, Oh, Jessica, that's so wonderful that you want to help your brother. Oh, you do such a good job taking care of your brother. It's so nice that you help take this off your mom's shoulders and that she doesn't have to worry about you. And I got all this positive feedback. And so it just, you know, made me want to do all of that more. And yeah, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with positive feedback, but it really just made me feel like there's no space for, um, those other emotions that might not be as happy to talk about or might not inspire as much pride in other people, but all of our emotions are valid and equally important. Yeah. Validating the emotions of the siblings is super, super important for parents to do. Um, You know, you were describing that so well that you get the attention for all the positive things um, and it makes you feel like some of your other emotions aren't valid or um, that your parent doesn't even recognize what you're going through, that you're really misunderstood, which is so difficult for kids to feel misunderstood. And when we validate what the experience is like for them and what the emotions are like for them, I think it's so helpful. You know, again, we're bringing to the surface that we see them and Mm -hmm. we acknowledge what they're going through and that it's okay for them to feel negative emotions about it. You know, that it's natural. I think there's probably some guilt that comes with that when you feel jealous because your brother gets to ride horses and you don't. You know that he really needs it because it's therapy. You know, you could easily fall into the guilt trap as a kid with that as well. Um, And, you know, the, every emotion is natural and valid. You know, as a, as a society, our culture, we tend to kind of teach people to stuff down their negative feelings, you know, anger and sadness and crying. And, um, you know, really, that's all valid. It's all part of the human experience. And while the siblings may not struggle as much as our kid with a diagnosed disability, they are struggling in their own way as part of that family dynamic. And it's so important to not only recognize it ourselves, but to let them know that we recognize it, to let them know that we see it. You know, I remember times, again, when my son would have a public meltdown and my daughter would start like pacing the aisles in Target and almost rocking herself just about to go into a panic attack. And I would say something horrible in the moment because I was so overwhelmed. Like, you know, this is all I can deal with. 
you need to calm down mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and through therapy, we started to work on some different strategies for her, you know, go another aisle over where she doesn't have to be right in the thick of it and, and, you know, attached to the scene by all of the bystanders and all of these things. But, you know, just now looking back, I realized that I did not handle some of those situations well for her. I didn't validate what she was going through. I didn't um, really acknowledge her and the impact for her in those moments. The fact that she was also struggling, you know, and I would get so overwhelmed and so attached to, well, I can't have two of you struggling right now because I'm one person. Right. I can't do both, you know. Right. It's so that hard. was so negative. It, w- it had a very big negative impact on her growing up. She felt like her anxiety wasn't important. And that was never my intention. You know, I didn't want either of them to of struggle course. again, you know. But I was like, whoa, what am I going to do? Which one is worse? That's what I had yes. to go with. Which kid is spiraling more? And that's so awful. And I hate, you know, when she she still talks about that stuff. She's 20 And that was probably when she was nine, maybe. And it's still very much impacting her. Um, And it's sad, you know, I mean, it's as a parent and you see this, it's really sad. But, you know, having these conversations, because this stuff wasn't out there back then. My son was diagnosed. Nobody was talking about siblings. Nobody was telling me, hey, you know, you need to really be aware of this other kid too. I was just you know, diving into the most immediate um, emergency, right? Absolutely. And And I think that's so common. Like, it's so difficult. Like, you know, I think I'm coming from a place as an adult sibling to now be able to reflect. And it's, you're in, it's a much different standpoint. And I think like, you know, for you too, as a mom to look back, you can think, well, how could I have done that differently? But in the moment, it's, it's very stressful and there's so much going on and it's not like you've trained for this moment, you know, like when you have a young kid with a disability, if you didn't plan on that, you didn't prepare for that. And every situation that comes up is new and different. And I think, you know, they're really, like you said, there were no resources for siblings 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And even today there are more like sib shops, I think are really at the forefront of they're doing some of the best work that I've seen out there. Um, but they're kind of it. I mean, like different programs, you know, different places in the country have different things going on. But on a large scale, I still don't see a lot either for siblings themselves or especially for helping parents like think through, well, what could be a tactic? You know, like next time we're at Target and one of my kids has a meltdown and the other one is feeling anxious. What should I do? How can I think through tools to help me with that in the future? Like there, there isn't really anybody out there talking through that unless you do therapy, like family therapy or one-on-one therapy. Um, and you know, that's really not my book either. My book is for, for kids, but I think one of the reasons I wanted to write it is because there are very few books out there right now for siblings. And what I have seen is a lot about that positive side about like, you know, my brother may be different, but he's special too. And I think that can be, that's very true and valid and important, but there's very little that acknowledges, you know, like I think about this scenario of the meltdown in Target and like, in addition to all the stress you're feeling of like, okay, my kids are struggling 
one of them struggling more? How do I help him? There's also, at least in my family, there was always this message of like, well, Jessica, you can't be embarrassed of your brother. This is just the way he is. Like, I I need you to help me. There's no room for you to be embarrassed right now. Like, you know, there are these lessons that go into it then. He's like, you know, this isn't how you're supposed to feel about this situation. You're supposed to accept him for who he is. And if he's having, you know, if he's laying on the floor screaming in a public place, you just need to accept that that's his disability. And these are important lessons. And like, ultimately, yes, that's, that's true. Like, I'm not going to argue that. But when you're eight and you're in a public place or you're at your birthday party or the movie Mm -hmm. theater, you know, it's embarrassing. And in, in the moment, it's, it's just like, you know, when you think back later, when you're home and everybody's calm and you're reflecting, then you can talk about, well, you know, like everybody's different and this is how he is. And, you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And maybe we can talk through other ways of responding. But in the moment, yeah, it's embarrassing. Maybe you don't want to be associated. Maybe going and standing in the other aisle and pretending that you don't know them is the way that you're going to cope right now. And you can address the larger, you know, implications of that later. But kind of that triage in the moment, I think is so natural for parents. And yeah, I hope that there will be more coming out soon. And um, I really hope that this will be an issue that gets talked about more and more because I think we're just at the very tipping point of exploring how to help families really see the whole family. Yeah. And I talk about a lot that the whole family has ADHD or the whole family has autism. Like this is a family diagnosis because it changes Mm -hmm. everyone in the family. It changes the family dynamic. It changes the sibling. It changes us as parents. Like it, it impacts the whole family unit, not just the child who has the diagnosis. Um, And that's really, really important to keep remembering. And we don't, again, our, our society doesn't really look at it that way. We get this diagnostic list of symptoms. We go to a physician, they say, yep, you have these, here's your diagnosis, here's your label, um, this is what you do for your child. And usually it's, you know, barely scratching the surface of what you actually need to do or be aware of, but, you know, that's how they um, instruct us. And then we walk out the door. Nobody ever says, hey, this is your whole family unit. This is is really impactful for your other kids. Really be aware of this. You know, it just doesn't come up. And that's what's so special about your book is that you're starting that conversation for parents. You're starting that perspective. Now they can see it. They can recognize that the sibling might be struggling. They can recognize that they need to be really mindful of making time that's special just for the siblings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I really hope like that in the future and whatever small parts my book or me may play in getting this to the forefront, because I am definitely not a physician or therapist, but a lot just on my anecdotal experience of myself and, you know, what the different experts wanted me to include in the book and what I've heard from people since it's come out, it really feels like a lot of these issues are the same, like the anxiety. I feel like everybody talks about that. And I I hope that someday you can get the diagnosis from a physician. And like at the same time, they'll also be handing you a pamphlet that says like have neurotypical siblings. Here are the 10 things to watch out for there too. You know, like here's how this is going to affect them too. 
Um, and so they do hand us fact sheets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That totally needs to be included. Yeah. Cause I really think, you know, I, as part of this whole kind of adventure that's happened since the book officially came out, I'm now in a Facebook group that's just for adult siblings. And there are like thousands of people in it from around the world and it's really active. And what's kind of amazing is watching these posts come up every day. People post about the same issues. Like everybody, there are constantly people posting, asking for recommendations on like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm 40 years old. I've never dealt with this issue before. I think I need a therapist. What kind of therapist should I look for? Or, you know, I'm, I need to figure out care for my brother long-term as my parents are getting older. What do I do? (laughs) Who do I talk to? Mm -hmm. Or even like, you know, I want to go on vacation next week and we're going to Disneyland with my kids and my adult brother wants to come, but I don't know if I want him to come. What do I do? (laughs) You know, and everybody commenting has an experience that they've done, like that they've had an almost identical experience. It's just like you could, I'm, I'm not a scientist or a researcher, but I feel like you could look through and you could really narrow it down to the same five things that come up for people. Um, so I just hope that this will be something that those people who are able to put together the fact sheets and the toolkits and the resource brochures, um, you know, it, it, I don't think it would even be that complicated. It's just that hasn't been explored yet. Yeah. We need to explore it. We need to make that a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. We'll have to yeah. figure that out, right? Absolutely. <laughs> really quickly before we close, I just wanted to ask you about your viewpoint now as an adult. Um, you know, I have often thought that growing up with a sibling with a disability would make my daughter a better person. I know that's probably not the right language to use and that doesn't sound good, but that's what came to my mind. Um, You know, that it would just make it for me as a parent, it's made me much more empathetic, much more compassionate, um, much more aware of people as individuals. And, you know, my hope is that it has some sort of the same type of impact on my daughter as well um, when she's an adult. And and she has started to um, really acknowledge that things need to be different from him. There have been some, some changes in schooling and other things where, you know, even three years ago, she would have said, well, why didn't I get to do that? You know, and now she's like, well, mom, that's what he needs. You know, she's making almost making me feel better about the fact that it wasn't equal. Um, But I just wonder, you know, what's your viewpoint now looking back? How do you feel about that experience? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you said before, it is a family diagnosis. Like I'm even still as an adult, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now and I'm a different person because of having a brother with autism. I have no idea what my life would have looked like. Um, if this wasn't an experience we'd had as a family and, and I wouldn't want any other experience. Like I have written this book now and it's been really exciting. And I mean, even back further, like I wrote my college essay about my brother and like, I, I just feel like my entire outlook about life and it's good and bad. It's, you know, the things that are difficult, we all have difficult things in our lives. And I feel I feel really lucky in a way that I was able to, 
have this experience and then, you know, it was better late than never. I wish I could have had a therapist when I was five, but having one in my early 20s and being able to sort of take this deep dive and look back and realize like, okay, yeah, there were things in my childhood that were difficult and here's how they made me a stronger person. Um, you know, at least I got to explore those issues and it's something I think about every day. Like I'll go to work and something will be challenging or I'll, you know, go have a conversation with a friend and it'll be, you know, whatever, go to the store and they don't have what you want. You're disappointed, like big or small. Life is full of things that are hard for us. And I feel really so much more able now to think to myself like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of mad about that that's okay. You know, or I'm, I'm really nervous about what's going to happen later. And it's not even, you're not trying to get rid of the anxiety because it, it's not going to go away. There isn't an easy answer to, to anything in life. Like yeah. I, I have no idea like what's going to happen with my job, what's going to happen with my family, what's going to happen with like, am I going to be able to buy a house in 10 years? What kind of car should I get? Like we all have things that we go through that are anxiety provoking. And I think I've really learned now to just accept, okay, yeah, these are all questions. Like, I don't know what the future holds. And I can sort of accept that uncertainty and just appreciate the small victories. Um, and, And I see those with my brother all the time, even now. And, you know, we're still really close. Um, I try to see him every couple of weeks. He's actually coming over later today. We're going to watch Hocus Pocus because Halloween's coming up. And that's our annual tradition to watch Hocus Pocus in October. Um, Yeah, it's just really, you know, every time I get a text message from him and he has spelled everything correctly and like it was a socially appropriate text message, I'm, I'm so proud and excited. And like how many other people get to say they get a text message and like they feel proud and excited, you know, like just yeah. because it's those little things. Like I, every time that he goes out with a friend, just the two of them and it seems to go well and nobody has any kind of meltdown that requires adult intervention. Um, it's really exciting. And I just feel so like grateful that I do have this new perspective now and which is not at all again to minimize, like it was hard, you know, and and it's still, it's still hard. Um, but yeah, it absolutely, it teaches you patience and gratitude and really just appreciation for the way that, yeah, like we're all different and there are things my brother does still that are embarrassing or challenging, but there are also things he does where he sees joy in places that other people wouldn't. And he takes such delight in like such mundane things. Uh, And that's just, it's really nice. It's nice to have that in your life. And I, you know, he still is my best friend. He's my only, you know, my only sibling and we are really close and I couldn't imagine life without him. And I feel, you know, really grateful that it's affected my life and sort of sent me on this path. So amazing. Yeah. I feel like it it makes a better person of all of us um, in in different ways, you know, it affects us in different ways, but it teaches us a lot of lessons. Um, It's taught me that I can do hard things and Mm -hmm. I can survive hard things um, for sure. So um, I'm so glad that you wrote this book. Uh, Everybody listening, please check out Jessica's book, Special Siblings, Growing Up with a Sibling Who Has Special Needs. We will have a link to it in the show notes and a link to anything else that we have 
discussed as well. And those show notes are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 072 for episode 72. And with that, I thank you so much again for sharing some of your time and your personal experience with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was really great getting to speak with you and yeah, excited to be able to share what I can. Yeah. Thank you so much. We um, will end the episode now and I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.